So Money episode 1147, Finding Your Dream Job with Ramit Sethi. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. If you want to generate passive income, what you need is an asset. Okay, now an asset can be a business that generates, I don't know, 200 grand a year. It can be a house if you want to rent it out as an investment. But guess what the most common asset for any American is? Ah, such a cliffhanger. I know. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Get ready to discover how to make more money in 2021, whether at work, transferring to a new job, starting your own business. My guest today is my good friend, Ramit Sethi. Many of you know him. He's the New York Times bestselling author of I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And he's here to talk about finding your dream job. Find Your Dream Job 2.0 is one of his many courses that is open right now to the public. IWT.com forward slash podcast DJ. Ramit and I talk about how to land this year the job that is meant for you. First of all, how to define that. What is your dream job? How to ace the interview actual scripts that you can use in an interview and how to ask for the raise appropriately in this climate. And yes, we talk about passive income, how to make money while you sleep. What are the best ways? A little bit more about Ramit. He's a Stanford grad. He hosts over a million readers per month on his blog, newsletter, and social media. He's been on the podcast a number of times. If you go on to somoneypodcast.com and you search Ramit, you will find some good stuff. Here we go. Here's Ramit Sethi. Ramit, welcome back to So Money, my friend. Always a pleasure. Isn't it? I mean, (laughs) I'm so sad that you moved across the country, but also really happy for you guys. It's just this 2020 was quite the year of transition for so many people. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But we still get to talk a lot and I'm excited to visit and um, see you again in person when we can. When we can, hopefully soon. All right. So this episode, you've been on the show a number of times. So grateful whenever you're on. Always one of the most popular conversations that we have. People love hearing from you. We wanted to focus this time on jobs. Now, I have a lot of questions. I'm always interested to get your opinion on everything, money, health, but in this case, employment. This is a interesting year, right? Because 2020 was devastating as far as jobs go. I don't know. Do you have any, first of all, forecasts or thoughts about where jobs could go in in the new year? Well, I don't do forecasts, but I'll tell you what I hear from my million plus readers who share their salaries with me and they share their raises with me and their promotions and flexible schedules. Here's a few things that I've heard. Uh, For the people who have either top tier jobs or skilled jobs, they are still as in demand as ever. That is a really important point because people have been talking about, quote, how bad the economy is for the last 12 years. And that is true. The economy has been bad, disproportionately targeting people who have 
unskilled jobs or low wage jobs. Mm -hmm. And I hear that every day. You know, people tell me, oh, I got laid off and I don't know what to do now. That is true. However, for the people who uh, are, for example, a marketing manager or a software engineer or even working in insurance and they have a job that is secure, those folks are often thriving and many of them feel guilty about it. Yes. Right? So that is honest. That's what I'm hearing from the marketplace. Um, there are raises happening. As always, the best are headhunted, recruited, and rewarded. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to share this because I want everybody to go beneath the numbers. And I want them to understand that it's like asking people, you know, what is the average salary of the people in this room? Well, if you put Bill Gates in there, your average salary is going to jump way up. So we need to look beneath the numbers and say, okay, we know the employment rate, but let's understand what about the types of jobs? And most importantly, what can we do as individuals to land dream jobs? Not just Mm -hmm. acceptable jobs, not just nice jobs, but I want to talk about dream jobs. I have so many more questions, but while you brought it up, dream jobs, tell us about your program. I want everyone to, at the beginning of this podcast, just understand how you're helping, really helping people right now. You're not just talking the talk. You're actually working with people, helping them create work. So we help people find dream jobs, and that often equates to substantial raises. That's $10,000 to $80,000 raises. We help people uh, find remote jobs. A lot of people right now, are saying, hey, I've been working from home and I don't want to go back to an hour one-way commute every single day. And so we help them find remote jobs. And then finally, a lot of people uh, want to reinvent themselves. Hey, I've been working at a type of company or even this industry for 10 years. I'm ready to completely switch. So the reason that I got into this was way back when I was in college, I have this odd hobby where I love interviewing. And I used to go and do job interviews and I just loved it. And I got three or so friends together and we would always share what we learned in the interview or what they ask you. How'd you respond to that? We just kind of workshopped all the stuff that we learned in these interviews. And at a certain point, it became a game, right? We could go into an interview and we knew we could land it. And that was great. I got job offers from places like Google and hedge fund and tech companies and, um, I wanted to know if it was just me or was it actually a skill that you can learn? And I think this is a really important point because finding a dream job, I learned, is a skill. Think about it. What most people do when they go to find a job, they do everything that average people do. The first thing they do is they go, ooh, I'm going to update my resume. So they go to Google and they type resume samples and all of them tell you, you need to put a 1.25 inch margin on your resume. Who cares? Then they go to some random website. They type in the same job title they have, the one that makes them unhappy. And then they upload their resume and just sit back, cross their arms and wait. This is the most passive job search on earth. So I started to teach my friends and I helped them start getting job after job after job. And this was happening years ago. So over time, I refined it, I built it into a program, and we just completely rebuilt it and we are relaunching it, which includes things like how to find remote work, how to interview over Zoom, how to switch industries if you're a lawyer and you want to switch to being a beekeeper, all of that in exhaustive detail so that you know exactly what to do to find your dream job. 
Well, before we get to the interview, Rami, some of us are insecure because maybe we didn't go to a brand name school. Maybe we don't have the the I don't know the experience or the talents that we think someone that wants that job should have. Or even like I know there are statistics that show women who look at job postings and they won't even apply because they don't hit all those bullet points. You know, well, this is looking for 10 years of experience. I only have six. So they won't even bother to apply. And before we get to some of this, this great advice you've got, any advice for the very beginning, before you even put yourself out there, so to speak, how do you, how do you drum up the confidence for like, look, you went to Stanford and you're a brilliant man who's qualified, whether you went to Stanford or Schmojo College, but there is something to be said about in this country, at least, where we respect certain pedigrees and brand names, right? It kind of stops us in our tracks. And I think that that creates a bit of a challenge for others. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm really glad that we are acknowledging this. If you're looking at my resume, you're saying, well, okay, this guy went to Stanford or okay, this guy ran a business. Yeah, it's probably going to be easier for me to get my foot in the door. That is exactly why back in the day, I said, I got to try this and test my skills with people who went to community college, with people who had English majors. And I did that. And I came to learn that there are some very specific things we can do. Let me give you an example. When you ask people about what can we do to build our confidence, I have to tell you that I think one of the least effective answers to that question is for me to motivate and encourage people by saying, just do it, just be confident. If you're not confident, somebody telling you be confident is not going to make you confident. So instead, we took a very different approach. I believe that if you want to win, you need to study winners. So here's what I did. In the program, we brought in people who have landed extraordinary jobs. It could be that they got a $15,000 raise. It could be that they got a six-figure job or that they have no commute. We brought them in and we interviewed them to understand every part of what they did. We got their resumes. We included it in the program so you can see what a six-figure resume looks like. Then, after you've studied those winners, I wanted to go even deeper. You know what's something that almost none of us have ever seen? is hiring managers talking about why they hire certain people and why they reject others. We've never seen it because it's not accessible anywhere. This stuff is behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. But I know those hiring managers. So I brought them into studio and I interviewed them on camera. I said, when you look at a resume, what are you looking for? When somebody comes in in the first, what's your first question? What do you want them to do when you get to this part of the interview? What do the winners do And what does everybody else do? And to your question about, you know, hey, I I don't know if I have enough experience. One of the managers, she said, look, our job descriptions are basically wish lists. So we're going to put 12 things on there. But we know that we're not going to find anybody on earth who has all 12 of them. So people should not be disqualifying themselves if they only have seven of them. What you should do as a candidate is look at them and say, what's the most important thing on this list of 12 job requirements. If, for example, you're a marketing manager, you know what the number one thing you can talk about is? Hey, I delivered 25,000 leads a quarter at this CPL. If you can do that, do you really think they care about what college you went to or or do you have an organizational ability for XYZ? No, they want the leads. 
So <laughs> this, this builds more confidence than anything else. I could sit here and I can give everybody a massage and tell you, oh, it's fine. Let's all meditate. Kumbaya. That's not going to build confidence. You know what builds confidence? Studying winners and then becoming one. Yeah. Quick anecdote. When I got this job in my early 20s, it was pretty competitive. I was like one of a number of people who applied. I was the youngest. I was definitely the least quote unquote qualified, but I knew my stuff. I went in there. I had a presentation. And at the end of the day, after I had the job and now I'm talking to the hiring manager and she's like, you know, what stood out about your <laughs> your interview? She's like, because all the other ones were so bad. One <laughs> woman picked up her cell phone in the middle of the interview and took a call. Ugh. Another person kept talking about how rich and important her father was and thought that that was going to win her points. And and it was just all these like bad stories about these other interviewers. I could have just walked in and been average and I think I would have gotten the job. So let that be comfort to everybody listening that if you at least have the decency to be courteous on time, uh, answer the questions, be prepared, you know, that goes like 90% of the way. But if you can also show them how you're going to add tremendous value, I mean, that's sealing the deal. Your competition is not that good. That's really important to understand. For example, your competition is definitely not joining the Find Your Dream Job program. They are not studying hiring managers. They're not looking at real resumes that got somebody a $60,000 raise. They're not practicing their interview skills like we show you how to do. We actually have real interviews happening where you can see what people do in their body language. They're just putting their resume there and then they're waiting. And they, they literally believe that when you go into an interview, they think their job is to answer questions. That is a huge misconception. Your job is not to answer questions. Your job is to communicate your key messages. Mm -hmm. So if somebody walks into an interview and the first question you get is, tell me about yourself. You know what most people do? They start telling me their chronology. Oh, I was born under a palm tree and uh, I really love... Uh, gummy bears. Uh, then I went to college. Then I took this job, but you know, it wasn't particularly for me. So that who cares? Yeah. You think I care about your diet and your this gummy bears? Biopic. Okay. Yeah, exactly. We're not reading your memoir. What I really want you to say is, well, there's three things that I've learned that really interest me. The first one is I love technology and psychology. And that's why at my last company, I worked at Acme Corp and I redeveloped our entire onboarding system and I improved our conversion by 3x. The second thing is blah, 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 blah. Key messages. You can answer the question, but these are skills that are not taught via Google. They're not taught at school. And so most people are walking in completely playing the wrong game, whereas top performers know the skill of finding a dream job. Yeah. Well, you bring up skills, and I want to talk a little bit about soft skills versus hard skills. This is because... Last month in December, I, I was doing a podcast talking to the owner of a financial advisory firm. And she was saying how she's like, you know, Farnoosh, I'm just tired of interviewing finance majors to come work for me. I'd much rather hire someone who may have studied humanities or the arts. It's just that she thinks that the industry requires more than just somebody who can do Excel spreadsheets, that that's something that she can teach you on the job. But what can't necessarily be taught in a classroom 
or isn't necessarily taught in the business world is how to have empathy and how to be a good communicator and all of that, which is harder to teach sometimes, at least on the job. And and so for those people listening who maybe that excites them, like, great, you know, I, I consider myself more of a softer skill person, but I am interested in working in tech. I am interested in working in finance. How do you make that pivot? I mean, this was a story that from one hiring person. I can't imagine that's everybody. She has a she has empathy for the, these types of hirees. But is it is it fair to say that this is where the trend is going and that there's good news for those who might not have traditionally seen themselves working in tech because they studied artistry, but mm-hmm. they can still thrive at this and they can still highly qualify for positions in these fields. Yes. If you're an English major, you should not disqualify yourself and you should stop talking down about yourself. Oh, I'm just an English major. Stop that. You're an English major. You know critical thinking. You've studied literature. You know how to connect disparate ideas. There's value in that. Let's remember that I studied STS and psychology and sociology. And I run a multi-million dollar business with over 45,000 customers. So I want to talk about an example. Remember when I told you that I wanted to test my dream job ideas because I wanted to make sure it wasn't just me. I had a friend of mine who was an econ major, went to law school, and she dropped out pretty quickly early on. And she was devastated because her family expected her to become a lawyer, but she just realized it was not for her. So she drops out. She has a huge amount of debt. And she was completely insecure about what to do next. Remember that when you graduate, the first question people ask you when they see you is, what are you up to now? And how do you answer that if you're a law school dropout? So she asked me for help and I said, I will help you find a dream job, but you have to agree to do everything I say. And she said, fine, I'll do it. So what I, one of the key things that people, especially people who have liberal arts, uh, degrees do is, you know, they talk down to themselves and they say, I could never work in tech or at these type of companies because I'm just an English major. Again, stop that. And so I helped her discover what her real skills were. Remember, most companies are not hiring you, expecting you to walk in and be able to do everything. They're going to train you for some of that stuff. So I helped her truly understand what she's good at. And I put that, all that stuff in the program. She ended up uh, getting a job in finance right after that. And then a few years later, she came back to me again. She wanted to transition out and she worked in tech after that. Now she runs her own business. Her story is completely included in the program. I did a really in-depth interview with her. And what she, her key lesson that I want everybody to hear, whether you're a software engineer or a sociology major, is you need to know what you bring to the table and most importantly, how to position it for employers. If you walk in and you go, well, I I studied sociology. Yeah, it's not really relevant. Then of course, they're going to kick you out. You deserve to be kicked out. You didn't do the work. But if you walk in and say, you know what? I studied sociology. It helped me understand group dynamics. It helped me understand cause and effect. And now looking at the goals of Acme Corp, I know that your goal is to drive customer demand. Well, here's exactly how the work that I've done at my last company and my academic training will help me solve this problem for you. Completely different. And that is how you can learn those skills. Sounds like a lot of this really just comes down to the narrative. What is what is your story? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Here's the narrative is so much more important than the technical things of what people think about with a career search. Give me your resume or give any hiring manager your resume. You get 10 seconds of their time. That's it. I know it sucks. I know it's not fair, but that's what you get. If you go through the front door, you get 10 seconds. They do not care about your margins or your design. The key question is, what is your narrative? And here's the 10 second narrative test. Look at your resume for 10 seconds, then close your eyes and tell me in one sentence, who is this person? If you can't answer that question, if it's just a series of disconnected facts, then you're just like everybody else and your resume will never get advanced. Mm -hmm. Same thing in an interview. So your narrative is critical. Yeah. And maybe some sentence starters, like I want to make an impact in this way. I'm passionate about this. My strengths are these. This is what, you know, I think that that sometimes we, we don't look beyond the what did we do uh, or what can we do? And we, we have to get a little bit more broader thinking about like, what is what is that dream job? Like, I think that that's some worth defining a little bit. It's different for everybody, but how do you define the dream job? Well, it's, it's, you're right. It is different. So just like there are seasons, like for example, you have a season right now where it's 20 degrees and I have a season where I'm sorry to say it's 70 degrees out here. (laughs) Uh, We all have seasons and we have something that we now call career seasons. So for example, in my twenties, I was in the growth season. I was willing to work 60, 70 hours a week. I wanted to learn more, make more, have a bigger impact. I was, I wanted to scrape all the meat off the bone. That's the growth season. And for a lot of people listening, that's you. Then some people switch sometimes in their thirties or forties. Sometimes they have children or maybe an elderly parent or just a hobby. And they switch to something we call lifestyle season. Hey, I want to prioritize my lifestyle. I don't want to work Saturdays and Sundays. I want to have time for my family or myself. That's totally normal. And finally, for some people, they want to completely reinvent themselves. That's the reinvention season. I want to switch from tech to nonprofit. Understanding your dream job means first understanding your career season. And you can start to see why most of the career advice makes no sense because it's one size fits all. How can somebody give you career advice if you want to switch to a nonprofit and the other person reading that blog post for free wants to get a 300,000 executive level job at another company? Those two are in different universes. So what we do is we first introduce this concept of career seasons. Number two, I know what you're thinking. Everybody listening is saying, well, you know, I'm growth, but also lifestyle. No, we show you how to pick one. If you want to find a dream job, you have to get ultra specific. So we show you how to do that. And then three, once you know your season, it becomes much, much simpler. You're automatically going to cross out certain companies because they just don't fit your season. If I'm in lifestyle, I'm not going to work at a big law firm because they're going to work me 90 hours a week out. That's not going to be right for me. On the other hand, if I know that I want uh, zero commute, I want to work from home, I'm going to look for those companies and I'm also going to put that in my cover letter, my resume, my interview. I'm going to be crystal clear and transparent about what my dream job is and then I'm going to get it. We don't have a whole lot of time left, but we have 10 minutes and I'm, I'm going to pick the questions that I think are going to be most exciting to my listeners, which is how to make more money, whether that's passive income or getting the raise. Mm-hmm. Let's start with passive income. This was a phrase, number one podcast I did in 2020, Ramit. 
had the word passive income in the title. So clearly people are obsessed with doing this, this sort of like idea of making money in your sleep when you're on vacation. Do you think, number one, we have over glamorized this um, to yes. the point where people don't even know what they're talking about when they yes. say passive income? And then realistically, okay, in my mind, passive income was always you do the hard work of setting up a system. Maybe it's an online course or, you know, a webinar or whatever that then it's all virtual. And then it kicks you into like, kicks your customers into some sort of buy-in and then you, you know, make money in your sleep. That's not for everybody. And that's not even to say that that's easy to do. Mm -hmm. So what is a good passive income revenue stream or streams that can, that most people can at least consider? Okay. First of all, we definitely over glamorize it because there's a bunch of internet hucksters going around saying you can yes. make $500,000 tomorrow. It's all bullshit. Look, I make a lot of passive income and I'm going to tell you what it takes and also what the implications are of that passive income. Let's first start off by understanding that if you want to generate passive income, what you need is an asset. Okay. Now an asset can be a business that generates, I don't know, 200 grand a year. It can be a house if you want to rent it out as an investment. But guess what the most common asset for any American is? It's an investment portfolio. So you can be generating passive income while you are working nine to five. And that is what most Americans do. But guess what? That's not really glamorized because those internet hucksters are not selling YouTube courses on finding a job and then putting aside 15% of your income into a Vanguard fund. It's just not that sexy, is it? Instead, let's talk about Forex and options and all this other nonsense. Mm -hmm. Most Americans work a nine to five. They're happy to do it if they have a good job where they're paid well and respected at work. Okay. Now, can they find a better job? Yes, that's what I want people to do. I don't want them to settle. But regardless, everyone, whether you're working nine to five or you're an entrepreneur, should have an investment portfolio. That is for sure. That, by the way, if you invest consistently over time, can earn you more than your income at some point. That's the break-even mm -hmm. point. And that's a magical moment for a lot of people. Now, if you want to double down on passive income, if it's really a driver for you, absolutely, start a business. Could be fantastic. I've done that. So I generate all different methods of passive income, everything from uh, you know our our programs generate the most of it. Some of those programs we built years and years ago, they continue to do exceedingly well. And then some other people have things like affiliates and ads and et cetera, et cetera. What I would say is that I find the dream of passive income, the sole dream of it to be very empty. And I'll tell you why. I ask people, what are you going to do with passive income? They go, well, I'm going to do what I want when I want. I go, well, what do you want? And then they just stare at me and blink. I'm like, you're orienting your entire life to do what you want, but you don't even know what you want to do. What kind of life is that? Can we at least, can you at least tell me, uh, I want to um, learn how to get better at bonsai maintenance. Uh, I want to work out with a trainer three times a week. Can you at least give me something? No, they haven't thought about it. All they want to do is chase this intermediary. But the ultimate dream of what are you going to use the passive income for is left by the wayside. That's why I wrote, I will teach you to be rich. It's like, what are you making all this money for? You better know what you want to do. So yeah, I think passive income is a bit overrated. It's awesome if you have a vision 
Here's why I want to do it. Okay, great. I'm going to uh, build my investment portfolio. I'm going to grow my business, et cetera, et cetera. Great. I love that. I support that. I teach that. But if you just do it because somebody on TikTok told you to, you're going to be in for a very empty discovery when you yeah. You know, you're probably not going to reach the top of the mountain because TikTok people don't know what they're talking about. But if you ever do, you're going to be like, this is it. I made this money. Now it's generating $2,000 a month or 20000 What am I supposed to do now? That's what happens to a lot of people. Yeah. I'm sort of conflicted on some of these things that I read. People in our industry, for example, who are younger and are um, you know, on TikTok and they're like... I went on TikTok and after 30 days, I amassed 800,000 followers and $650,000 in revenue and chiching. And I'm like, <laughs> it's not sincere when you do it that way. When you tell your fans and followers how you're quote unquote doing it and rocking it, it's TikTok. Let's, let's just, I'm going to stop talking. Can I, can I just say like, what? I don't, I'm not impressed when people brag simply about the numbers. Yeah. I'm not impressed. I have to say, I have no problem with people saying like, Hey, I took this amazing vacation and, and like, I, uh, or I really love clothes. Look at this thing that I saved up and bought. I love that. I have no problem with people living their rich life. And it does not have to be, I'm giving away 90% of my money to charity. Although I do love people giving money away to help others. Look, if you want to buy a beautiful meal, be my guest. I love it. I encourage it. But I think there's something more meaningful than just the dollar amount. In fact, most of the people I admire do not talk about the money alone, but rather what their success and good fortune and good luck has gotten them. Wow, you know, my husband or wife gets to stay home for six months and, and take care of our new baby. Or, wow, you know, we got to take a trip and take our entire family with us. To me, that's inspirational. Oh my God, you're showing me all these different ways of a rich life. Hell, I even have one of my students who told me he used my book and he and his wife retired in their mid thirties and they travel around the country on an RV. Not my cup of tea, but I love that they did that. That's their rich life. It's amazing. Right. So how did, you know, I'd like as the follow up to that tweet, literally a tweet that went out with, with all that information, with all those numbers. Um, what changed about your life? Because the person reading that who's not experienced or who's already down on themselves is going to think that with their salary, they're not able to, or aren't already living a rich life. And I don't, I think that's a really toxic message, right. the way that it was sort of put out there out of context and without any, without any much, without much else to it. But we yeah. digress. Well, um, I love our digressions, Farnoosh. I know, but they're the best part. <laughs> um, this last question is about asking for a raise. I, I did a story for Bloomberg Opinion last year just about how it's not inappropriate to ask for a raise in a recession, in a pandemic. Yes, there's a lot of sadness and grief and and it can feel icky, but... I think if you're killing it at work and your company's still standing and maybe even benefiting from your contributions, this is like any other year, you know, and you should ask for the raise. So, and you said you started the episode by saying there are still a lot of people getting raises, there are mm-hmm. a lot of people getting promoted. What's your advice for asking for the big money in 2021? Sometimes you sell yourself short. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad you, you've been consistent on talking about prioritizing yourself and asking for what you are worth and doing the work to justify it. So I really appreciate that. You've been a a rare voice 
talking about that for years and years. And I, I definitely recognize that. So thank you. And all your listeners should thank you as well. <laughs> uh, I think that in 2021, uh, here's what you can do for negotiation. Number one, break it down into three parts. Um, the average person thinks that they walk into the negotiation room and ask for a raise. That's blindsiding your boss and you're probably not going to get it if that's the way you do it. A much better way is to break it down into three parts. The first part is have a meeting with your boss where you talk about what it takes to exceed expectations in your role and force your boss to work with you to get specific. Do not let them off the hook or accept them saying, oh, you need to improve your communication. Okay, specifically what? What does success look like? Here's what I think it looks like. Do you agree with that? Get that in writing. And depending on how close you are to the metrics, your ideal scenario is something like, you know, improve sales by three to 5%. That is exceeding expectations. Write it down, document it, send them an email and formalize it. Step two is to actually execute on that. You need to deliver if you want a raise. You don't get a raise for just existing or just doing your job. You don't deserve it. That's, that's just, that, that's a common misconception. People are like, I've been here five years. I need a raise. Well, that's not necessarily what gets you a raise. And I made that mistake early in my career. I went into a boss's office and said, I want a raise. He's like, why? I'm like, well, I've been here X months. He threw me out of his office. I felt so embarrassed, but it was one of the most valuable lessons I learned. So step two is executing. Make sure you communicate every Friday or every other Friday. Here's an update on where I am. Here's what I'm doing next week. And then finally, step three, walk into the room. And like I always say, 80% of the work is done before you ever walk in the room. You walk in, you say, this is what we talked about six months ago. We agreed on these things. Here I sent you these status reports. I've hit these numbers. And based on my research, looking at the market, here's where I am and here's where I should be. I'd like to have a discussion with you about adjusting my compensation. Boom. That's how you get the raise. And of course, we show you exactly with videos how to do your body language, how to respond to mm. questions like, oh, there's not a room in the budget this year. All that is included in the dream job program. It's quite the investment. I love investments where the promise is making more money. It's simple. <laughs> On yeah. the other side of the, of the deal. Yeah. Well, tell us more about how we can learn about a dream job. And what is like, is there an expiration to when we can sign up? Yeah. So you can, if you are interested in finding a dream job in getting paid a substantial amount more in perhaps working remotely or even switching industries, if you don't even know what your dream job is, but you have realized, you know what? I go to work eight hours a day. It better be rewarding to me. And I want to be respected at work then go to iwt.com slash podcast DJ. Let me give it again. iwt.com slash podcast DJ, like dream job. Mm -hmm. And we're going to give you a bunch of free material. We're going to show you how to do some interviews and how people have landed top tier jobs. And then our program will open up. Uh, you can come to that URL anytime. Our course will open occasionally. And you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ramit. Uh, but I really would love people to, to really ask themselves if they want and if they're ready to find their dream job because it is out there. 
I mean, who isn't? I'm raising my hand. No, I have the dream job. <laughs> I, I do. Um, I have to say, you always put out the best courses. I am obsessed with your emails. Just because, one, I just love your writing. I totally appreciate the writing as, a, as an author. There's just so much to benefit from you know being in your community. And I encourage everybody, if you haven't been listening to this podcast, if this is your first time and you go back in the archives, you'll know that I'm a fan. You're, I talk about you when you're not even on the show. So um, I appreciate your ears are ever ringing. You know it's because Farnoosh is talking about you on her podcast. Ramit Saiti, thanks so much for joining us. And this is going to be probably my best episode all year because I'm going to put the word passive income in the title. <laughs> thanks, Farnoosh. Thanks so much to Ramit for joining us. To check out Find Your Dream Job 2.0, go to iwt.com forward slash podcast DJ. That's iwt.com forward slash podcast DJ. You can follow Ramit on Instagram and Twitter at Ramit. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Back here on Friday, answering your money questions. It's not too late to submit your question. Go to Instagram, follow me there and direct message me your question or go to somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.